This is episode number 726 with Ben Jones, co-founder and CEO at Data Literacy. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today, I'm joined on the show by the jovial Ben Jones. Ben is the CEO of Data Literacy, a firm that specializes in training and coaching professionals on data-related topics like visualization and statistics. He's published eight books, including bestsellers like Communicating Data with Tableau, which was published by O'Reilly, and Avoiding Data Pitfalls, which was published by Wiley. He's been teaching data visualization at the University of Washington for nine years and previously worked for six years as a director at Tableau. Today's episode should be broadly accessible. In it, Ben details the seven key factors of successful data-savvy leaders, which he details in his brand new book, Leading in the Age of Data, and which he devised by administering his proprietary data literacy assessment to thousands of people. All right, nice. Let's jump right into our conversation. Ben, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. Where are you calling in from today? Hey, John. Thanks. I'm in uh, the Seattle area, actually in Bellevue right now, downtown Bellevue. Nice. And so you are a listener to the show, is my understanding. And maybe you can fill us in a bit on that. But uh, you, as a listener, uh, you found how to make a, a guest request, um, which I guess for anyone out there, I may, I probably don't talk about this on air very often. Um, so you, our podcast manager, her name is Ivana. And so you can email Ivana at superdatascience.com and you can propose yourself or someone else as a guest. And we get dozens of them a month. So from those dozens of uh, suggested guests, recommended guests that came through, there were three in September that Ivana recommended to me to actually consider. And you were number one. And then I thought it was a no brainer because you have this great new book out Leading in the Age of Data, which are so in a YouTube version, you'll be able to see me holding it up here. Uh, ben also has it on the desk behind him. <laughs> uh, so you get it in stereo, um, except in the audio version, <laughs> video stereo. And yeah, you have this really clear idea for a podcast episode based on your book and the experience that you have. And so, yeah, uh, tell us then about the seven key factors of successful data savvy leaders. Yeah, you bet. Uh, we'll get into that. And uh, yeah, but as you said, longtime listener, first time caller. I have a, a trick though. So a person on my team, Ali Torben, she is also a podcaster. Her podcast is Data Viz Today. So she said to me, Ben, if you really want to get on their radar, here's what you have to do. So she gave me the pro tips and luckily, thankfully, we squeezed our way through. So here we are. But yes, in leading in the age of data, so I lay out seven factors. So you know, trying to be an effective leader in today's world, you really just can't get around uh, this question of data. How are you going to help set the stage for your team's success? And I think a lot of people assume it's just an IT problem, you know, uh, but really we're working with organizations that have leaders in every department. You can imagine marketing, HR, finance, and they're all trying to become more effective leaders. So we do this little assessment with organizations we have for about four years now. And in that assessment, it's called the data literacy score. We survey their team members and, you know, it's an interesting lens. It's a subjective lens, but we break up 50 questions into these seven categories. So what we're trying to do is help leaders realize they need to think about some very specific things in each of those categories in order to avoid some of the problems and pitfalls that teams fall into. So the first, we start with ethics, right? Because it's got to start there. Um, is your team using data for helpful 
uh, ends and, and means and so uh, rather than harmful ones. So ethics is such an important kind of foundational um, you know, uh, piece for every leader. Uh, we go on to purpose. The purpose category to me, I designed because I'd heard so many times people saying, people, data scientists saying, well, you know, I got hired for this job, but I'm just working on little side projects that mean nothing. So I'm trying to help leaders assess, are they using data to actually move the needle and achieve their goal and objective? So that's in the purpose category. There's a section where we just talk about data. That's the third category. So it's quality, it's timeliness and freshness, whether it's sufficient or not. So the data piece is so important. That's the third category. Category number four, we get into the, the technology. So do the tools work together? Are they interoperable? Are you adopting new tools? And so the technology category, actually that's the lowest scoring one, which is understandable because there are a lot of pain points there, right? Um, so that's the fourth. The fifth is people. So what are the knowledge and skills that the people on your team have? And is, is it enough you know, to, to actually make use of all of those uh, tools you've paid a lot of money to, to implement? So people. Um, I'm a big believer in the sixth category, which is process, because I spent a lot of time earlier in my career in Lean Sigma thinking about processes, mapping out processes and improving them. So a lot of the times people don't realize that, you know, you've got all these great tools, but your processes aren't allowing you to use them. There's actual decisions that are happening or your everyday weekly, even weekly processes are not even taking data as an input. So how can you find ways to change that as a leader, you know, thinking about things from the point of view of the steps in a process. And then we end with um, the one that I think my former employer Tableau software really put at the top of the list for everyone, which is culture. So, you know, do you have a team that is building in rewards and recognitions around data? Are you tapping into different kinds of data communities? And just is the overall culture in your organization one that's reinforcing data as a key asset? So yeah, so those are our seven categories. We go through those. Each has its own chapter in the book, but we're trying to give practical advice, you know, on how to to do well in each one of them. Nice. Yeah. So let's make sure I've got those seven right. Uh, so the seven factors that you have for successful data savvy leaders are one, ethics, two, purpose, three, data, four, technology, five, people, six, process, and seven, culture. Yeah? Nailed it. You got it. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, Ben, why don't you talk us through like an example of each one? Yeah, sure. Okay. So... Let's say we're talking about the, let's start off with the ethics, the ethics category. So within that one, actually it's a lot of case studies in chapter one. In fact, chapter one is for free because we think the ethics piece is just important for everyone. So we just give it out. And actually we're making a little landing page for your listeners at dataliteracy.com slash super data science. They can just go get that chapter in PDF form. So basically with that one, you know, lots of case studies. So one example that's sort of a famous one is how Amazon had this uh, uh, machine learning algorithm back in the, let's say 2015, that time frame that would rank resumes. So, you know, they wanted to kind of have like a five-star system for their hiring managers, just like you and I have to go on to amazon.com and look for books, right? Hey, here are the resumes that are five-star resumes for a particular job description. But of course, what they found is that, you know, when it came to programming, um, it was basically filtering out anything that was uh, for, for a woman. So, if your resume said I was the woman chess club um, captain in my college, it would drop it. It would uh, push that resume to the bottom because it would say, well, this doesn't look like 
resumes of people that have been successful in that role here at Amazon in the past, which of course that's because it was and still is to a large degree, a male dominated discipline. So they realize that to their credit and they they basically sunset the tool. In fact, they say they never even really used it. It was just for evaluation, but we're showing lots of examples like that, you know, of how even in that case, an HR leader would need to be very uh, savvy to principles of data ethics, how data can actually be used in biased and in unfair ways. So that's a great example, you know, uh, one of many there within the ethics chapter to get the thing, to get the ball rolling, just to help people realize, okay, I need to make sure I don't do any harm here uh, as I go about trying to, to leverage data. Nice. That's like the, um, what is it the doctors have to say? The Hippocratic Oath? Yeah, first, right. Do no harm. First, do no harm. So chapter <laughs> first, one. do no harm. Or as a, we've heard it say, sometimes applied to data, first, do not hoard. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, so that's ethics. And of course, that also deals with those topics like data privacy and data security really important topics. You just got to know before you hit the gas. I mean, I honestly wouldn't want a leader to be very data savvy if they didn't have those principles kind of in place from the get-go. So that's the ethics category. Yeah. um, In purpose. Okay. Let me think of a good example that we cover in the purpose, um, in the purpose chapter. Well, again, with that one, I'm trying to make sure that they're thinking big and also um, not getting stuck in these pet projects, these side projects. One thing we do is we try to teach them this topic or this technique called the goal tree, where you know you take this KPI, right? So you're thinking about that. You're looking at that as a leader all day, maybe, and really interested and concerned. But let's say even if you have a medium-sized team, a lot of the people on the team may not have any way to relate to your KPI. It's just so far away. They don't feel like anything they're doing today or this week has anything to do with it. So it's very demotivating a lot of times. And leaders don't always understand that. So we teach them this technique to break it down and flow it down into more tangible, critical success factors for each of their teams. And then also to show them the tree so they can see how different teams are contributing to the same overall goal just in different ways. And so they can see the big picture, but they can also see where they're having a lot of impact. You know, And it'll help them understand maybe some trade-offs that inevitably have to happen, let's say, with budget or resources. So, yeah, the goal tree can be a good way to really get your purpose and get data to touch different levels of the purpose as you kind of go through your year and try to achieve your goals. So there's a good example there for the purpose chapter. Nice. The goal tree. Goal tree, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've used that technique a lot. It's just a simple little flow down, right? And they, they can be very mathematically precise where all the, like, let's say you have a, I don't know, a sales number, then below that you've got a number of visitors to a website, then a click through rate or something. So it can be really mathematically precise, but it doesn't right. have to be. Let's say you have a weight loss goal. You right. may not be able to like literally do the math on weight loss, but you can break it up into sub goals like right. diet versus exercise. So uh, I see. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. So you're like ultimate goal is profit. And so you're like, how do we do that? Well, we increase revenue, but then another, but another leg of the tree is uh, reducing costs. And then, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you have cost cutting measures, and you also have promotional measures. And in an organization, that's totally different teams, and they have nothing to do with each other. But what they don't know all the time is, okay, if I achieve my part of it, and that organization or team over there achieves their uh, goals, then this is why those two things go so well together. You know. Um, so yeah, it can be good to see yeah, as a leader, you need to see that entire picture, but then also I think you're, it's good for your team to be able to see it too. Nice. Cool. I like that. All right. And then 
category three is data. Now that's that's kind of a funny one to me, but right. I think I think I know what you're getting at here. But <laughs> in our seven factors for successful data savvy leaders, data is one of them. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that always okay. seems, I know what you mean. It's like, okay, well, yeah, isn't that the whole thing? Um, so it's interesting, right? Because um, let's say you're not in IT. So you may not really feel like data is your domain. And I think that there are a lot of people who have worked their way up within organizations over the last decade or two or even three. And, you know, again, like data, the fact that data is so relevant and so important is a little new, really. I mean, at least to the degree that it is now, right? So within that category, we're trying to help people understand some different aspects that really hit home. So thinking about data from the point of view, for example, assessing of all the data in the world, like a Venn diagram. So there's the data you you maybe um, have, but you don't need. Okay, so then we want to ignore that. There's also maybe data we both need and have, and we want to make sure we've got people working on that. But then as a leader, you really have to spend time thinking about the data you need but don't have. So what are you doing to make sure your team gets that data? You know, It's your job to advocate for your team, find ways to have the data becoming more and more um, relevant and sufficient. So that's an example of, that's the first little segment there. Each one has seven guiding principles. So that's the first Each one. Each one of the seven has seven? Seven, yep. So, so 49. It's a weird number for a guy from Seattle to be all about 49ers. But yeah, we got seven times seven. So there are 49 little... I actually made it really easy to write the book. This is my eighth book. And I made it really... I just had to every day think about one of those 49. Oh, and, yeah. That is nice. It was... Yeah. Kind of... We went through it. I think it's, break, but. it's having the experience that allows you to distill it into that seven by seven that would have taken yeah. years. So that's the data category. Yeah. Um, you know, with that one too, we're, we're teaching the concepts of metadata and documentation, making sure that I think a lot of people aren't sure what's in the data. They don't know what the acronyms are, but they're afraid to say anything. So as a leader, can you make sure they have something at their fingertips to learn what the data means? Mm -hmm. If you have a data catalog, great, learn about it, learn how to use it. Maybe mm -hmm. you're in an organization that hasn't rolled out that technology yet. So how do you make little simple explainers or lists? How do you have people on your team available if someone has a question so that no one has to feel stupid? You know, so yeah. as a leader, you know, I think that that's an important thing. And, and that's as that's as applicable if you're in marketing as it is if you're in IT. You need to make sure your team members are familiar with the most important attributes and variables that they need to do their job. And you have to understand that right now they may not be especially for someone who's new to the team. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is all brand new to them, right? So yeah. what's the way you create that? that, that As a quick hack for people who, you know, maybe you don't want to, you're worried about wasting someone's time. You have some variable names you don't understand. Mm -hmm. You and I were talking about just before we started recording about the ChatGPT code interpreter now called advanced data analysis, yeah. which is annoying because they made that name change like right after <laughs> I released the code interpreter episode of this. So I had episode number 708, I did an episode on what was at that time called the ChatGPT Code Interpreter. I had five hacks for data scientists. And one of those hacks was just like understanding what your variables are. Mm -hmm. And it'll even take a crack at guessing, you know, based on the name and kind of the structure. Um, obviously, it has the power of GPT-4 in behind it. So yeah, uh, yeah. So it can make a lot of educated guesses really quickly and, and kind of get you, get, give you a good start. I think chatbots are going to be AI chatbots in the near future here are going to really help a lot with this question of 
understanding the data and what it is and what it means. Of course, they're not perfect in that regard and probably never will be, but it can be a good starting point to ask a chatbot to explain a specific concept or metric. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. It, it obviously won't, like if you pulled the data from like a SQL database or something where all of the codes are specific to the organization, uh, but anybody who's designing that kind of database in the first place should be trying to put in column headings that make some sense. So it yeah. should be possible for a machine that even has no awareness of your particular business, um, your particular SQL database structure to be able to take some guesses. So anyway, so that's, yeah. we probably uh, belabored data enough here. Um, let's move on to tech. Yeah, four. so technology is where, again, this is in our data literacy score, this is the lowest scoring, this is the lowest scoring category. By that, I mean the average score people assign to the questions in this category comes uh, in at the, very, at the very bottom end. And I think that's because even in small organizations, technology can be where you feel the friction and the pain point. So we're asking leaders to think about those points of friction and can they identify them? Can they be in tune to when those technologies might not be as interoperable or performant as their team would like them to be? And then how can they be you know, um, judicious, but also uh, pro proactive about reaching out to their peers in IT to try to find ways to resolve that? So you know, there's lots of ways in which these systems we're implementing can um, cause a lot of headache for people. We try to create systems that are empowering, but a lot of times they're imprisoning. So if their team members are in prison because of tools, they need to know that. And they need to know that there's something they can do about that. They may not be able to solve it themselves, but they need to play a role in raising the issue in trying to find a path forward, finding workarounds, putting together a roadmap, communicating that to their team members so they feel like there's a way that things are going to get better, you know? Um, and I think it's easy to just, if you're a non-IT leader, let's say whatever in, I don't know, operations, just throw up your hands and say, oh, well, and then even to like, you know, complain with your team members about some of the problems that are surfacing with legacy systems, you know, or vendor lock-in, all these different problems. And so, you know, that can be therapeutic to some degree, but I think the team members also get the idea. Well, this leader isn't trying to solve my problem. They're just griping about it. And eventually, I think that leads to even more frustration. So, yeah, I mean, how can you be part of the solution? How can you help IT know about some of the problems that are surfacing? And then if it's going to prevent your team from achieving their goals, can you get it fixed? How can you find a way to get that problem resolved? And I think that's the role of a great leader in the age of data is to find that path forward. So that's one of the seven guiding principles in um, in the technology category would be about alleviating points of friction. That's a great one. Makes a huge amount of sense to me. And then number five is people. Yeah. So actually the lowest scoring statement of all is about having great data training available. So out of 50 questions, there's 49, seven times seven. There's yeah, a yeah. what we call overarching question that essentially tries to gauge someone's opinion overall about data and its effectiveness within the team. But number 50 out of 50, the lowest scoring overall is about people having access to great data training. Gotcha. So the, so, uh, the lowest scoring of the granular 50 questions is yeah. in this people category, the one that you're about to say, but it was the previous category tech where on average across- The category overall. Uh, yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, right, yeah, thanks for clarifying. Yeah, so each one yeah, has yeah, seven. Yeah. So the, the technology category itself is the lowest. 
but of all the 50 individually, the lowest scoring one is this. My team has access to, uh, to actually this is second, second to last. Um, my organization provides valuable training opportunities to help me and my teammates develop the knowledge and skills necessary to effectively work with data in our roles. So it's 49 out of 50. The 50th is coming uh, in the next section, but that's 49 out of 50. Uh, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Come <laughs> on, let's hurry up and get through this people crap. What do people need? Come on, get past the people. They need training. They need good training. <laughs> but they need good training. So what we try to teach them in the book is, okay, what is a good training? What does a good training look like, right? So I think, first of all, they need probably training that's just on their own systems, and it's hard to get a vendor to do that. So this statement, that it, the fact that it's so low scoring is kind of self-serving for us in a way, right? Because that's primarily what my company does is offer data training. So we're always available to help. But a lot of times we have an open response question at the end. And what we find is many times they want training on their own systems. And that's a little difficult for us as a vendor to provide. We have great training programs, but the, the leader is probably going to have to put together something around training their own tools and systems to make sure someone is familiar with this labyrinth that they're in and how to make their way through it. And um, so we teach them what we think are uh, principles that differentiate or separate between kind of poor data training and good data training. So yeah, and this can probably apply to training overall, not just data, but there's eight factors for great training. So clear, relevant learning objectives. It has to be customizable to your specific situation. That's number two. Three is soliciting active participation from the, the trainees. Four is it needs to be delivered in an engaging way, because as we all know, it's really easy to make data boring. Five is it needs to be taught by deeply qualified trainers. Six, including practical examples and real world case studies. Seven, giving trainees a chance to be assessed and receive feedback. And then eight, featuring follow-up touch points where learnings are reinforced. So in other words, we're not I, just... Yeah, no, I'm yeah. deeply disappointed that you can't distill that down to seven. <laughs> I had a ninth, but it got blended with another one. Yeah, uh, eight's a round number. I, that was my first soccer jersey number, so I kind of like the number eight. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> let's stop interrupting you. Okay. And then last but not least, so in the final category, right, which is um, which is the culture category. Again, this is the lowest scoring question of all of all fifty. Which is this: My team has access to one or more thriving data communities that members that with members that connect around data and its value as a resource. So and just, actually, just read yeah. it through one more time. Yeah, sure. So, culture question: My team has access to one or more thriving data communities uh. with members that connect around data. Oh. And its value as a resource. Right, right, right. Yeah, that, I mean, it does kind of sound like a rare thing. It doesn't surprise me that that's. Yeah, that's people are like, nope, I don't have a data community. Nope, and maybe that's that's simply a reflection of them saying, no, that's that's just we don't have that at all. And it isn't always saying that they need that. That isn't necessarily the first problem for a leader to solve. But it is probably good to know that they don't feel that people often don't feel that that's something that they have at their disposal. And now the leader may say, well, I can't go create a community. I mean, I have enough on my plate, but this is where there are really great resources and communities out there that you can, if you have some awareness of them, user groups, um, book clubs, things like that, you can get them tapped into different communities online that help them, but also then building those potentially within your own organization as well. So can I find ways to connect with someone else who's also using the same tool here at the same company? Uh, people love that because now they feel like they can share their experiences. They can learn from other people. They're not stuck in their own little box. They get to branch out and they get to talk and connect. Yeah. 
And I think like we talked about before, John, right? Like prior to recording the show, that whole connection piece is really important yep. in, our, in our culture. So. Yeah. And, and pre-pandemic in New York, and I'm sure in Seattle as well, out by you, uh, meetups with a capital M were great for this kind of thing. And in New York, it's never really taken off again post-pandemic. And mm-hmm. a lot of Discord channels out there. But yeah, as tying into the conversation that you and I were having before we started recording, yeah, that I don't think the digital experience provides anywhere near the same yeah. kind of community. Yes, you get the advantage of people from all over the world, but you don't build that same kind of, when you go to a meetup once a month or whatever, you see the same people, you, you very quickly start to figure out, okay, you know, this is somebody that's trustworthy. This is somebody who's honest. This is somebody who has great ideas. Maybe I'd like to work with them, or maybe I'd like to collaborate on a project with them or tackle um, some Stanford lectures together or whatever uh, in a way that I'm sure absolutely happens in a Discord channel, but I can't imagine it happens as uh, often per unit of time spent. Yeah, it's just a richer interaction face-to-face. I think we need to get back to that. People are getting back into the office now, of course. And so maybe there are opportunities as a leader that you have to tap into some different kinds of groups within the company. You know, a lot of it, maybe you have to be careful with data communities that you're not placing more burden on people and filling up their already full calendars. So mm-hmm. much of it can be um, you know, optional, but high value too, like hey, I can join this hackathon or I can listen into this guest speaker or someone's got a skill pill that maybe I can take my lunch and, and uh, go through. So those sorts of opportunities and you know providing those, I think those can be very helpful. And like I said, that's definitely the one out of all 50 right now that kind of ranks all the way at the bottom. So that's an interesting data point already. Whether you're going to do it or not and put a data community in place, it's good to know that that's a potential avenue that is many times not, not taken advantage of. Totally. Yeah, that's a really great takeaway from this whole message that if there's one, you know, across these seven factors for successful data savvy leaders, if there's one thing you take away from this whole conversation, it sounds like this opportunity to create a data culture is uh, the most likely one that you need to work on in your business. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. Before I let you go, do you have a book recommendation other than your own book? Yeah, so I'm reading a lot of books. Okay, I had one I really loved. It's by Melanie Mitchell. So she is at the Santa Fe Institute. So it's called Artificial Intelligence, A Guide for Thinking Humans. So it's a really great book. I just finished reading it. And the reason why I like it is because it's helpful for people that aren't already super AI savvy. And so I really admire what she did there. She has deep experience in the field, you know, going back decades So I really love that book. I would recommend that to your readers, especially for those who are in a role where they have to explain AI to people that don't get it and maybe are afraid of it. So that would definitely be a recommendation I would would put out there. One one other one too. uh, Chart Spark is coming soon. It's a a book that's available today for pre-order, but this is by Ali Torben. She's the, um, the host of the podcast Dataviz today. I mentioned her earlier. She's the one who gave me the pro tip on how to reach out. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just reading through it right now and uh, as a beta reader and it'll be available. It'll probably hit the shelves in early December and it's amazing. It's all about creativity and data, two things people don't think should go together or certainly they haven't often been put together, but she did a great job of doing just that. So how do you really tap into your own creative energy when you are working with data? Yeah, we expect Ivana will be getting a podcast episode proposal from Ali <laughs> soon. And so maybe you'll have Ali on the show soon. And I also thought, you know, to give... 
I mean, everyone, their best shot here uh, for people who are listening and you want to make that great. I mean, uh, so Ali, who submitted Ben's <laughs> suggestion here, I guess, um, very clear. So obviously then, you know, your name and then typically like a link to your LinkedIn profile or some other, some other social media platform or something online that clearly gives me a sense of your profile and maybe like the scale of your following or something like that. It definitely mm-hmm. uh, doesn't hurt to already have an existing following, though that isn't the only criterion for being on the show. If you have a huge following, it's going to help. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then it very quickly provides underneath co-founder and CEO of Data Literacy, link to Data Literacy, author of Avoiding Data Pitfalls and, and Avoiding Data Pitfalls mm-hmm. and Data Literacy Fundamentals, links to the Amazon pages for those. So you can see book reviews and that kind of thing right away. A nice short bio, just a couple sentences that's directly relevant to what would be covered on the show. And then actually provides a link to the PDF of the new book. Mm-hmm. So leading in the age of data, you know, a cop, um, yeah, a, a digital version of PDF so that uh, we can peruse that. And mm-hmm. then critically, some proposed topics. Mm-hmm. So in this case, it was exactly what we did. The seven factors for, of successful data savvy leaders yep. uh, and a story that illustrates why it's important and an actionable uh, takeaway from each of those. Um, so that just made it so easy for me to see all this and be like, okay, this is an episode already packaged up with yep. somebody who knows what they're doing. Let's go. And to be absolutely sure, um, some previous podcast appearances uh, there were three provided to me and, you know, that's a good number. Um, yeah, because obviously that's something critical. We need our guests to be excellent mm-hmm. oral communicators. It's a podcast. We don't have a choice, unfortunately. Uh, that's got to be something that that our guests have. And so, yeah, um, thanks so much to Ali for making that so easy. And um I'm probably, I haven't been letting you speak enough, Ben, but uh, I, I don't know if I'm holding you back from saying no, something. Not at all. No, 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 no. I think I, I feel like I had a lot to say. So thanks for giving me the chance. No, and sure. yeah, with regard to Ali, you know, to me, it's all about being a shortcut. Can you be a shortcut for someone? Can you make their job easier? Can you put yourself in their shoes and think about what they need to get done and then make that as easy as possible? Like Ali did with that description that I, uh, I filled out and, you know, sent over to Ivana. And that's the same thing with data. You know, can you be, can you find a way for, for this resource to serve as a shortcut to make better, faster decisions? Mm-hmm. So in general, I think as you grow in your career into a leadership role, be a shortcut for people. That's an important lesson. Yeah. Uh, also, and yeah, I wanted to make sure your listeners know dataliteracy.com slash super data science. They can get the first chapter. We got a discount code for them there. Um, as well as, um, yeah, just a place for them to kind of find out more courses we've got. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks. Other than that, how, how else should people follow you? Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn. So it's uh, just slash Ben R. Jones. Uh, I used to be on Twitter a lot more than I am today, or I guess X, and that's at Data Remixed. But uh, last but not least, so we're starting a new solutions page. So they can just email me directly. And so if uh, they reach out to bjones at dataliteracy.com, we're actually going to be giving away to five listeners uh, that can reach out to me with a data leadership challenge. They have a free hour of time just connecting and chatting about it. So feel free to reach out at any time. We'll put a little form in the, the landing page too awesome. that helps them figure that out and get their little uh, challenge into my inbox. And like I said, I'll, I'll reach out and we'll, we'll set something up. Perfect. Yeah. So I'll make a note of that as well um, in my LinkedIn post that comes out uh, when this episode is published. 
so that people can do that for sure. All right, Ben, thanks so much for taking the time today. It's been awesome having you on the show with this nice, clear episode, very actionable, and we'll catch you again. All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Take care. Sweet and easy that interview was. In today's episode, Ben covered his seven factors for successful data-savvy leaders, namely ethics, purpose, data, technology, people, process, and culture, with that final and seventh category containing the single biggest opportunity for data savviness improvement in many organizations, that is providing access to internal or external data communities. All right, that's it for today's episode. I hope you found it insightful and helpful. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting the show by sharing, reviewing, or subscribing. But most importantly, just keep listening. And until next time, keep on rocking it out there. I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon.